All right, kids, if you want to come on up and take a seat, I think we have one kid today, but that's okay. Do we have more than one? Well, Mr. Shane, actually, I want you to come up here because I want to teach you, want to show you something and teach you something. And it's kind of hard because you're only this tall and you need to be this tall. What is that one? Joy. What is that one? Can you read? Peace. What's this one? This one's kind of hard. Love. That's love. What's that one? Hope. Hope. Good job, man. These four candles around the center candle are joy, peace, love, hope. And this candle represents Jesus. And at Christmas time, we have what's called an Advent wreath. And each Sunday before Christmas, the four Sundays before Christmas, we light one candle. So the one just before Christmas is love. The one before that is joy. The one before that is peace. And the one for today is hope. So today we're going to light the hope candle. If I could. There we go. Now, I wanted to ask you a question. What is hope? Do you know? Um, Hope is where you... Even when they're crying. Yeah, hope is when you help people even when they're crying so that they, they, they can hope. But hope, there's, hope is kind of also like, kind of like a wish, right? Do you know what, do you know what, what a wish is? Do you don't? When you say, I wish I could have a new bike. Or I wish I could go to Disneyland. Or I wish that it would snow on Christmas. See, some people wish, but there's a difference between wishes and hopes. And I want to teach you that. I want to teach everybody else that too. A wish is wishing for something that probably isn't going to happen. Like if you say, I wish I could go to Disneyland next week. Probably not going to happen. But if you say, I hope that it snows on Christmas day, that's possible, isn't it? Because we live in Alaska. It's possible for it to snow. So you can hope for something that's possible, but wishing probably not going to happen, even though you want it. And that's the difference. So when we say today is the hope Sunday, it's not that we are saying that we wish Jesus would come back We're saying we hope Jesus comes back soon because we know that Jesus told us he was going to come back and take us to be with the father. And so we can hope that it can come soon because we know that Jesus would never lie to us and he would tell us the truth. I want to pray for you. And I know that you had an owie on your face and had to go to the doctor this week, didn't you? So can I pray for you? Okay, stand right here, stand right here, stand right here. Jesus, I pray for my friend Shane. God, I thank you so much for him. And I thank you, God, that even though he did have an injury this week, that it it was not any worse than it was. And I pray, Father, that he would heal quickly. 
And I pray, Father, that you would relieve him of any pain or pressure or swelling. And Father, may your purpose, perfect will be accomplished in Shane's life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. You can go back with your teacher now, Mr. Shane. If you want to take that off, that's okay. You can do that. How many of you guys and ladies have ever hit your thumb with a hammer? <laughs> if, you, if you can go back to that moment, and I'm not asking you to feel the pain again. I'm asking you to listen. What came out of your mouth? If you were driving down China Hot Springs Road and a moose ran in front of you from nowhere, what do you hear come out of your mouth? This is what Jesus' lesson is today. And it can be not necessarily a fun lesson for us as Christians. Because we want to try and be righteous and holy and pure and Christ-like. But it is in the moments when you can't filter or edit that what truly is there comes out. I can tell you when I was a young adult, I was a carpenter for the United States Air Force. One of the things I had to do, one, it was Texas. So when I said I was cold, it wasn't cold compared to Alaska cold. But it was 20 degrees above zero. So for Texas, that was cold. And we were, it was February, and we were doing, uh, we were siding the side of a building. And for those of you who have ever dealt with siding, this wasn't vinyl siding, this wasn't aluminum siding. We were using tempered masonite siding. And tempered masonite siding is about 12 to 14 inches in width, and it's usually about 8 to 12 feet long. And so it's this flexible, wobbly thing that you have to hold in place with your body while you're trying to nail it. Well, did I say it was tempered masonite? What that means is, is that that masonite is hardened through the process of making it, which means it doesn't like nails to go through it. So you're trying to balance this piece of masonite in place while holding a nail and then you rear back and hit the nail. And what happens? The nail bounces on the surface of the tempered masonite and eventually goes in. In that one day, I smashed my thumb 12 times. This was February. It literally took until June for my thumbnail to grow back normal again. And my coworkers continued to laugh all day long. Why? They said to me, Bob, if you would just cuss and get it over with, you wouldn't have all this, because they'd be like, what? 
and they would laugh. But the reality was for me, I was praising God. Now, I was trying not to be all holy and righteous about it, but I was praising God because had it been a few years earlier, I wouldn't have had any choice but cuss because that's what would have come out. But God had worked in my heart to that date where when I smashed my thumb 12 times in one day, there wasn't any coming out. And that was cause for celebration, even though my thumb was throbbing and it wasn't a fun experience. And I've had that happen a number of times over the years where I've literally been aware that nothing came out. Nothing I had to be embarrassed about. Nothing I had to be ashamed of. Because in those moments when you don't have any control, and it's just a visceral response, and I'm a pastor. (laughs) If I'm out in public and a visceral response occurs and it's something that I'm going to be ashamed over, that's not a good thing. But the reality is, you can't control those visceral responses. You could try. But the reality, I mean, it's like, oh, sugar. I mean, you can do that. But, but the reality is it still started. The shh still started. <laughs> but in my case, the shh doesn't even come out anymore. It's not there. And I want to talk to us about that this morning. So, Elsie's already read the scripture for us. I'm going to I'm going to go over it a little bit more. We're going to be reading, not reading, but looking at uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And again, we're not going to read all the way through it. Um, but I do want to look at a few things. Number one, verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, we were when if you go back a few chapters you're going to see that it was the scribes from Galilee who were confronting Jesus now Jesus's fame Jesus's reputation has reached the the nation's capital and the Pharisees are now concerned now again i said this a couple of weeks ago i might have said it last week um We always, in my mind, I've always thought of the scribes and the Pharisees as being these these self-righteous, holy-there-thou people who are just being a jerk and trying to be a pain to Jesus. But what I have recognized as I've been studying over the last number of months is that the Pharisees and the scribes are actually people who are trying to live righteous lives. And they're trying to lead their people righteously. And as we were, as I was studying this particular chapter, one of the commentators that I read from said that there were about 6,000 Pharisees throughout the nation of Israel at this time. And their whole focus was, we have to get the people to live righteous, pure, holy lives Because that's what's keeping the Messiah from coming. If the people of God would get serious about God, if the people of God would live holy, pure, and righteously in the way that God demands, Messiah will come. And so, this is their mindset. And if you think about it, go through the Old Testament. God says, be holy because I'm holy. 
do these things and I will bless you. And then what happens? They don't and they don't get blessed and they get kicked out and they get beat up. I mean, I was just reading in Jeremiah this morning in my devotions, chapter 44, 45, 46, where, where God says through the prophet Jeremiah, oh, don't think just because you left Israel and are now hiding in Egypt that I'm not going to bring upon you the same thing that I said to the rest of the folks. You are none coming back, except for maybe a couple, three who are going to escape and try to get back to Jerusalem. The rest of you, you're going to die where you're at. You'll never come back to Jerusalem. Why? Because you allowed idolatry to take place. You did not give me first place. And I declared over you that if you did this, you would not have my blessing and you would be, you would die outside of Israel. And that's exactly what's going to happen. That's what Jeremiah is saying to the people of Israel who have hidden in Egypt. God doesn't play when it comes to being holy and being righteous and, and demanding of his people that they live in a way that honors God. So in the time of Jesus, Matthew chapter 15, we see the religious leaders of the nation trying to keep everybody in line, living in a way that is pleasing to God so that the blessing of God would come on them, so that the Messiah would come, which is their hope. So look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said to him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, what are they talking about? We don't have a clue. Why? Because it's not in the Bible. There's no place in the Bible. You can go through the entire Old Testament. Scholars have done it. There's no place in the Bible where God said, you better wash your hands before you eat. Now, your grandmother might have told you that and your mom might have told you that, but it wasn't because God said it. It was because it was handed down from the elders to the next generation to the next generation. You wash your hands. Show me your hands. Go back and wash them. You soap this time. That's not Bible. That's grandma. Okay. But the Pharisees are using grandma or grandpa. What? What are you talking about, pastor? There was an oral tradition. Literally, by the time the 300s came, 300 AD, 300 years after the time of Christ, there was an oral tradition that became written down. And it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules on how to live a holy life. It's called the Mishnah. You can read it today. And the Pharisees knew it by heart, backwards, forwards, inside and They knew every one of those rules. Why? Because it was important that we live righteous and holy and pure lives so that God will bless us. And it's my job as a Pharisee to teach you how to live properly because you're not. And they come to Jesus and they say, why are your people, why are your disciples Breaking the tradition of the elders. See, they didn't say breaking the Mosaic law. They said, why are, you, why are you allowing your disciples to break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, Jesus, one would normally expect him to use scripture to combat them. Well, he can't point to any scripture because it's not there. 
But what Jesus does in verse three is he says, "Okay, well, why do you guys break the commandment of God? Because the Bible, God, Moses, Moses's law says. Honor your father and mother or die. That's what it says. Because it says, if you read it back in Exodus, it says, if you want to have a long life, honor your father and your mother. And that's not because if you don't, your mom and dad are going to kill you. <laughs> it's honor your father and mother and you will be given a long life. That's the blessing that comes from doing the, fo- the following the commandment. Now, Jesus said, why do you, the Pharisees, break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? What is he talking about? See, Jesus knew the Mishnah. He just didn't teach the Mishnah. And he says in verse 4 and 5 and following, whoever reviles, I mean, excuse me, but you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, well, what you would have gained from me is given to God, then he doesn't need to honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Now, what is he talking about there? It's part of the Mishnah that says, I dedicate all that I have to God. Everything that's, that's mine is God's. Whatever God wants, he can have. Now, not to be funny, but think about it. If you want it, God, come and take it. It's yours. Oh, you don't want it? Okay, I'll use it for a while. That's literally what's being said here. And I don't mean that to, to be disrespectful to the Jewish people, but literally what that's what's being said here. Because the tradition of the elders was you dedicate it to God, but you still have control over it. You're still able to use it. So all of my money is God's. All of my house is God's. My car is God's. And get, let me give you an answer, for instance, because I see some, some, some furrowed brows here. I was 18 years of age. I was living in Monterey, California. I owned a 1974 Dodge Charger. I did not know what I had. It was just a car. I used to drive between Monterey, California and Whittier, California, which is about an eight-hour drive. It's about the same amount of distance and time between here and Anchorage. And I would do that at least one weekend a month to go visit my mom and my dad. While I was on the road, if I ever saw a hitchhiker, I would pray, Lord, is it your will for me to pick these people up? And if God prompted me to pick them up, I would. And if not, I wouldn't. One time, I was... I had picked up a person and this person and I were just talking and we were, you know, it wasn't far from where I lived. It was in the Monterey area. And we, I was driving them from one place to another within the Monterey area. And as we were having conversation, this person was sharing with me their, their, their hard luck story about how they used to have a job, but they don't have a job anymore. They don't know what they're going to do. And God put it on my heart to write them a check for $50. Now, back in 1977 and 78, $50 was a little bit more than it is today. So for a young airman in the United States Air Force to write $50, that's a tenth of my paycheck. Okay, that was one tenth of what I got every two weeks. So not every two weeks, it was once a month. But anyway, um, so that was a chunk of money. But I wrote a check for $50 and I made it out to this person and I handed it to them as they were getting out of the car. And they were like, are you kidding? I said, no, God told me to do this for you. You see, in my mind, 
It wasn't my money. It was God's money. This was God's car. This was God's way of blessing somebody through me. Now, I had friends of mine who told me I was foolish for doing stuff like that. They're just taking advantage of you. They're giving you a sob story. It's stupid. I said, well, whether or not they're lying, God is blessing me because he's told me to do something and I'm being obedient. But that's the idea of what the Pharisees are saying here is I have dedicated everything that is mine to God. God, whatever you want to do with it, it's yours. However, mom and dad, normally in your old age, I'd be taking care of you with this money, but I've already dedicated it to God, so I can't. So you'll have to come up with another way. And that's what Jesus is confronting. He's saying, what are you people What are you people? God very clearly said, you want to live a long life, you honor your mother and your father. And what do you do? You say, oh, I've given that to God, so I can't use it for them. What? And you're fussing about washing their hands before they eat? And Jesus literally just like, oh, enough, I'm done, enough. Look at what it happens here. After he quotes Isaiah chapter 29, Jesus then just literally turns away from the Pharisees. Look at verse 10. And he turns to the crowd that's around him. He says, he called the people to him and he said, listen, hear and understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles the person. That's all he said to the people. That was it. He has a confrontation with these Pharisees who are trying to confront him because his disciples aren't washing their hands according to the traditions of the elders. And Jesus is like, I'm going to try and argue scripture with you and you don't get it. Okay, fine, we're done. And then he talks, turns to the people. He says, it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. It's not what you put into your mouth. Don't worry about the, the, the rules that these people are trying to lay on you. Okay, understand that this is a hard issue. And that's the end of the teaching. And then it says, verse 12, then the disciples came and said to him. Now, the Bible doesn't, the Bible truncates timeline. I mean, was this later that day? Was it that night? Was it the next day? We don't know. The disciples came to Jesus after he did the public teaching. And they said, Jesus, did you know that the Pharisees were offended when you said that? He said, listen, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted is going to be rooted up. Just let them alone. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both of them are going to fall in a pit. Don't worry about it. And then Peter came to Jesus, verse 15. He says, Peter, I mean, Jesus, can you explain that parable to us? The one about doesn't go, what comes out of the mouth doesn't, what goes into the mouth doesn't defile, what comes out of the mouth defiles. I don't get it. And Jesus looks at Peter. He says, are you still without understanding, Peter? Verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is pooped out? That's what he says. They they made it pretty for the Bible. It's expelled. It's poop. They say poop also in one of Paul's letters, but we won't talk about that. If I've gained everything, it's all rubbish to me. Rubbish? No, it's crap. That's what he says right there. He says, it's all crap to me. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. It's expelled. Don't you see whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. Verse 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. 
Out of the heart comes murder. Out of the heart comes adultery. Out of the heart comes sexual immorality. Out of the heart comes theft. Out of the heart comes false witness. Out of the heart comes slander. These are the things that defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile anyone. Well, that's the end of the Bible part. Now you get to hear Bob's thoughts about this. It's still going to be Bible, I promise. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Or maybe it's 22 and 23. I can never remember. First Thessalonians, right after Colossians, verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 23, sorry. Chapter 5, verse 23 and verse 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's one of the, the, the primary verses that John Wesley used when he was trying to teach the people about sanctification or holiness. Now, sanctification is a, is a spiritual, I mean, it's a theological term that simply means being set aside for holy purposes. Okay? The temple was sanctified. The high priest was sanctified. When you ordain somebody to ministry, they are sanctified. Okay? But it doesn't mean that regular normal people can't be sanctified. When, when I say, oh God, I sanctify to you all of my worldly possessions. They're being set apart for holy purposes, which means, God, I want you to be honored and glorified through all of my stuff. Which means if you tell me to give my title to my car to my neighbor, I'll do so. Now, I'm not going to do it just because they ask for it. But if indeed your Holy Spirit prompts me to give the title to my car, I'll do it because it's not mine, it's yours. You see, that's what this idea of sanctifying is. Okay. So sanctifying is setting aside for holy purposes. We are called by God to live holy lives. The Bible says, be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect. That's talking about not living perfectly. That's talking about living holily, holily, being holy, being righteous, being pure, set aside for God. So Bob Sugden at the age of 16, is walking across campus. And his friend Susan says to him, are you a Christian? Of course I'm a Christian. I've gone to church my whole life. I didn't ask you if you went to church. I asked you, are you a Christian? What? Have you made a personal decision to serve Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? What? Hmm. You need to think about that, Bob, because that's the question that's important. Okay. For three weeks, Bob mulls that over, chews on it, reads the word, talks about, thinks about it, prays about it. God, am I not a Christian? Am I not really saved? Am I? And literally after three weeks, I finally come to an understanding that it is all about me choosing to serve God and not just simply going to church. So on the night of October 25th, 1975 at 11.30 p.m. in the driveway of Ginger Francis, I give my heart to Christ. And what I cannot explain, but I know that it happened was the peace of God, which passes all understanding, came and flooded me. 
Something changed within me. And I was different and new and yay. But then I smashed my thumb and sugar came out. And that was incongruous to what I wanted it to be and how I was choosing to, but. Because mm. if I was reading the scriptures right, Jesus is yelling at the Pharisees because they washed the outside of the cup. They didn't do anything about the inside of the cup. They wash the tombs and they say, you're still full of empty dead bones. I mean, of, of dead and, and decaying bones. And that's when I started learning about that it's more than just simply asking for forgiveness of my past sins, but it's asking God to heal that which is within me that wants to sin. That carnality, that depravity, that thing that is broken on the inside from the fall. And as a result, I can't fix it myself. Only God can do this. So God, I ask you, I want to love you. I want to serve you. I've dedicated my life to you. But there's still this thing inside of me that's wanting to just go against your will. Your will. And every time it's like a struggle and I just, I don't know what to do. So God, please help me. I yield myself to you 100% as much as I can. The old timers, the elders used to say, giving the unknown bundle. Literally, not just offering it to God, because doing it this way, it's still in your hands. God, I give it to you. Open palm, no longer mine. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, John Wesley says, God will sanctify you. Your entire soul and spirit and body. He is faithful and he will do it. It's not you sanctifying yourself. Yes, there is a part of you, a part for you to play. That's that yielding, the consecration, the saying, God, I choose but if you want to be holy in God's eyes, if you want to be empowered to live the life of God, there's cleansing and there's empowering that both of those things happen when the Holy Spirit of God has full control. And God, the whole God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will sanctify you, will, will make right that which is broken, which will take out that defilement. So that... When you slam your thumb with a hammer, no more sugar. Then people laugh at you. And they say, if you would just learn to cuss, you wouldn't have all this problem. Because there's something different about you. They don't understand it. Why are you, why don't you fuss and cuss when, when you get hurt? Why don't you scream, oh God, why, why, why doesn't any, why, why are you so different? Well, because God changed me. Not just forgave me of my sins. That's one thing. God changed me. It was an act of faith. I received it by faith, but God did it. So I am now sanctified. I am now holy. I am now living a life before God. No longer am I expressing the defilement because there's no more defilement. However, 
I didn't get zapped off the face of the earth after I got sanctified. That means I get to continue to walk this path until God chooses to take me off this earth. And if I'm supposed to stay holy, righteous, pure, I have things to do. Now, let me give you a for instance. And I'm just being flat out honest, okay? Around the age of 10, maybe, in my life, I was exposed to pornography. Um, Dr. Dobson will tell anybody who asks that once it's there, it never leaves. And that pornography is one one image and you can be addicted. Thank God I was never addicted. However, it was an issue. During my growing up years, pornography was an issue. When I was in Bible college, thank God it wasn't an issue, but somebody in my world had access to my computer and they brought up images. So then they came to my face and I was like, ah, and I told my wife about it and we put in the, the, the things that needed to be done. And then when we moved over here after Bible college, for those of you who were around back then, you'll remember that the pastor's study used to be this downstairs room in the parsonage. That's now a closet because that's how big that room was. I didn't like it as, a, as an office. There was no way I could feel safe or comfortable in there. But the way it was so small and narrow and long, the only way I could configure my desk was my computer screen was facing away from the door. That was just because the way the desk was configured. So what did I do? I went to Fred Meyers or Walmart or whatever store I went to, and I bought a little camping shaving mirror. The one that has a wire hook on the back. And I put a nail on the, wi- on the wood- window frame behind me, and I affixed that mirror, and I had it angled such that my wife could walk by my office at any point in the day and see what was on the screen of my computer. Why? Because I was doing everything in my power to not succumb to what the enemy was trying to do to me. Now, yes, those images are still there. If I wanted to, I could bring them back up. I choose to not. When the enemy tries to bring them back up, I pray, God, Holy Spirit, cleanse this from my brain. Help me not to deal with this. But I still have free will. I can still choose to go down to any store that sells them, buy it, put it in a little paper sack and go someplace and look. I can choose to bring up videos on my computer if I chose to. And so what I'm saying is this, God, the Holy Spirit can cleanse the carnality. God can make it right. God can forgive the past sins. But for me to walk the path of the straight and the narrow, trying to live a holy and pure life before God, it's not just depending on God, the Holy Spirit, but it is also me choosing to live in a holy and righteous and pure way. Now, I shared my dirt with you. I'm not asking you to share your dirt with me. But what is your dirt? Every single one of you have it. You know what it is. 
If your dirt was exposed to the world, would you be able to, with your head high, say, I'm a Christian. I serve Jesus with my whole heart. No, you don't. Not if that came out. And if that's still there, why is it still there? Because guess what? The word of God declares that God can and will. He is faithful and he will do it. If you ask. If you ask. See, Jesus taught his disciples, don't worry about whether you wash your hands before you eat your food. Don't worry about making sure you have 15 minutes of devotion every single morning. Don't worry about whether or not you're at church every single time the doors are open. That's man's traditions. What I'm asking of you is to live a holy and pure and righteous life submitted to the will of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And how does that come about? First of all, you confess and repent of your sins. You say, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I confess that he has been raised from the dead. Or I got it backwards. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe that God has raised him from the dead. And I am now saved. However, in order to continue to walk a life of purity and righteousness, there has to be something done to that carnality. And it is not yours to do. It is God the Father's to do. Your job is to yield to that. To receive it by faith. And once you've received it, you can then walk in integrity. You can walk in strength. You can walk in the power of God. But you always have the potential for temptation. And you always have the opportunity to choose sin. And that's your responsibility for the rest of the time you're on the face of this earth. It is not what you do in following traditions. It is what is in your heart. And I would tell you right now, God, the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now. If there is indeed something wrong. Whatever the fluttering that's going on on the inside, whatever the sweaty palms, whatever, however God manifests that in you, you know that the Holy Spirit is doing it and talking to you. And if you're still denying it, I'll just wait till you smash your thumb. Because I'll see it. It will come out. You're given the opportunity to deal with it long before you smash your thumb. Long before the shame comes public. Got it? Imagine, seriously, imagine. Pastor Bob, 20 years a pastor in this community. And the the community finds out that I've got a porn addiction and I've been living a lie for 20 years. What would that do to the kingdom of God? But it's the same for you. Because if you name Jesus, and then it comes out that you've been living a dark life, it's just as much a degradation to the kingdom of God. And the only way to fix it, the only way, confess, repent, yield, consecrate, and allow God to do God's work. That's the lesson of Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20. Not fun words, but this is how we are called to live. Let's pray. Father, may your will be done. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.
And I pray, Father God, that you would just move in a powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.